0: Beloved saints, the grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of our God, our God abides forever. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute, and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever." But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. And grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. That ends the reading of our God's word. Let us ask his blessing on our time in it this morning. Our gracious God, you who dwell within the pages of your word, we long to know you. We long to see you revealed within the scriptures. And so we ask that you would open to us the beauty of your word. Open our eyes and our hearts to behold the king of glory. And give us faith to receive all that we see in your word. Amen. And you may be seated. Once in a while, you meet one of those Christians that just seems to be a little different. Not like that. Uh, But one of those Christians that just has a quiet strength. Uh, Something that's not easily rocked. Uh, There are some people who seem to be thrown off by anything. The slightest adversity sends them into a tailspin. But then there are those who seem to be so grounded... That they can't be shaken. And I don't mean indifference, that they're aloof. The people I'm thinking of are are actually quite the opposite. They are profoundly present. They care. They will engage you. They will look you in the eye. They will listen and they will weep. But they will not be scared. They just seem to be rooted and to remain steady in life's storms. Uh, for those in our congregation who have been around long enough, Klaus Hoof was one of those people. Uh, his quiet confidence was as obvious as it was attractive. Uh, there are a few other names I could mention here, but I probably won't because they'd be embarrassed. But we know them. We recognize them. We We see their steadfastness and we have a word for it it's depth depth and by depth we mean that there's there's something more to them than meets the eye below the surface there is an unseen strength that keeps them stable when life gets hard and chaotic and messy And we have so many images for depth in our world. Um, Anchors on ships. They're only good when they go below the surface of the water deep down to keep a ship stable in a storm. Or or, uh, we talked about in Sunday school the foundation of a house is that unseen reality that makes or breaks the house. The deeper And the more solid that foundation, the longer it will last. Plants are one of nature's best examples. Uh, Many plants can only grow as tall above the surface as their roots go below the surface, deep. Uh, And so... Uh, it's the plant's roots that keep it stable. We we live. If you've been to our house, we have a lot of tall trees. If they were not rooted, we would be terrified every time the slightest wind blew. But sometimes a tree that's seventy feet tall has roots that go seventy feet deep below the surface. And so a plant that's only uh, a few inches tall, typically will only have roots that go a few inches deep. And there's a lesson there. We all long for depth. None of us ever wants to be tossed to and fro every time a little wind blows. But we are like plants. We can only survive life's storms if we grow deep roots. And that's what Psalm 92 is about. Uh, Typically when I finish one sermon series, I spend some time before we jump into another one in the Psalms. I started this years ago. I started with Psalm 1. And every time we we come back for a little while, I, I love the Psalms. They are written for life in a fallen world. They're written so that we might learn how to pray while we await our Savior's return. Uh, and they are meant to help us hold on to God when things in this world seem so wrong and so unfair. And Psalm 92 echoes a familiar cry in the Psalms. And it's it's basically this. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do they seem to live such an easy life? Uh, and But it's... Its response is a little bit different. Like other psalms, it says, remember their future. A lot of the psalms say, just remember their future. But it also says that the answer to understanding the way of the wicked in this world is to sing God's praises. In other words, the psalm is saying that remembering His strength and His ways... God's strength and God's ways are the medicine we need when, when his timing doesn't seem to match our expectations. Remembering his strength and his ways helps us when his timing doesn't seem to match ours. Uh, if I could summarize Psalm 92 in one sentence, it might be something like this. If we are to weather life's storms, we must possess depth, which is cultivated in worship. If we're going to endure life's storms, life's hardships, and not be uprooted, tossed about, if we're going to be anchored, we need to possess depth, which is cultivated in worship. That's really what we want to see uh, to do today. And to do that, As we look at this timely psalm, uh, sometimes I could swear the psalms were written for our generation and no other, but I'm sure every generation feels like that. Uh, But to do that today, I'd like us to reflect on the problem of shallowness. Because we are a shallow people living in a shallow world. There is a real problem with shallowness in our day. Uh, And then I'd like to reflect on what the psalmist means in verse 5 when he says that God's thoughts are very deep. I want to try to draw that out a little bit. And then finally, we'll ask where it is that we develop depth, where our roots grow deep. That's what I want to do this morning. So look at shallowness, look at God's depth, and then ask where we grow depth. Pretty simple plan. So what do I mean that we are a shallow people in a shallow world? Um, Well, we live in a world where news cycles last a few hours. Uh, We have a constant stream of information coming at us. We as a people, as a generation, consume more data than any other generation in history. Between social media, uh, news feeds... Uh, podcasts YouTube videos blogs and there's probably 10 others that you could add to that list that I'm not cool enough to know about Uh, but we are a wealth of factoids and information and we can sound like experts in any one of a number of subjects and if we can't we turn around and google it real quick so that we can sound like an expert and lecture everybody else but the reality is that uh, such pursuits don't cultivate depth in fact I would argue they prevent it Uh, to use an analogy we are a thousand miles wide and half an inch deep We, we know a little bit about a ton and not much about anything And our world simply doesn't value depth. Everything seems to be judged by how well it works and how fast. And so what kind of stories do we exalt? Stories about quick rises to fame or power or fortune. We we don't tell stories about faithful parents or, or farmers or factory workers. We, we tell rags-to-riches stories and then we tell their sequel when they crash and burn. We get two stories out of one person. And so when we read psalms like this one that opens with four verses about worshiping God, uh, giving thanks to him, declaring his steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness in the evening, when we read psalms about praising God's works, we tend to think, who has time? We're, We're just too busy. We've got so much going on. Maybe we tell ourselves that we'll get around to it when we get older. That's when we'll really give ourselves over to worship. When life slows down. When we have time. And yet if we're honest, it's more than that. Because it's God's steadfast love and his faithfulness that we're most apt to question. When life gets hard, we wonder how God, a God who who says he loves us, could allow us to go through such trials. When we look at our temptations and our struggles, we wonder how long this God who says he's faithful will really stay around if he knows what's going on inside of here. And when our faith costs us, we wonder if it's really worth it at all. And it only gets harder and worse when we look at the constant success of those who seem to have no commitment to God. They rise to prominence, they're loved by many, uh, they make our lives harder and they get praised for it. when we look around it sometimes seems like God is taking the day off and the wicked are winning we work and we work and we work and we can't seem to get ahead but those people who have no commitment to God whatsoever they seem to flourish overnight and verse 7 acknowledges this but in a way that reveals the unseen reality it says that the wicked sprout like Grass. If you want to see quick results, plant grass seed. Within a week, it'll break the surface. Within three weeks, the ground will be covered. It sprouts quickly, it gives you visible results, and it is easy to cover a lot of ground with it. But it's fragile. It cannot endure harsh conditions. It can be uprooted with a golf club, or for that matter, a spoon. And the point is that things are not always what they appear. Overnight success does not mean lasting endurance. Be careful what you wish for. The, according to verse 7 the success of the wicked is shallow and their destruction is inevitable they're just too dumb to realize it now that's God's word not mine but the word fool though in verse 6 is, is actually a different word than like we find in, in Psalm 14 the fool has said in his heart there is no God this word is, is more kind of like uh, the playboy it's someone who's fat and silly, who thinks life is just a big game and a big joke. Uh, and fat and silly doesn't mean, it's not a physical statement, it just means they live in abundance and they never think about more important matters in life. They flit from one shopping trip to another. Christmas in Aspen, the summer uh, in the Bahamas completely unaware that they are marching towards a, a day when they will stand before their creator and have to give an account. If I can be honest, it is, it's referring to the kind of people that t- reality TV is built around. And the people who idolize them. Who think that life is a big game a big joke and the most important thing about you is your fashion and that mentality has affected the church the church today is probably the most shallow it has ever been in history Uh, the church is not immune from chasing one fad after another just like in the world, new celebrities arise in the church one after another at an alarming pace and, and they write best-selling books and, and they go on the speaking circuit and they lecture everyone about their newfound formula for success and they amass Twitter and Facebook followers. They write blogs and, and they start podcasts and there's an appeal to them because we don't We don't know their weaknesses. We don't know their foibles, their shortcomings. We don't know their humanity. Have you ever noticed how people can be much more attractive at a distance? We make them into caricatures of perfection. And yet, they're no different than the world's celebrities in, in whose likeness they're fashioned. And like the world, we tell their story of their rise to fame And then a few years later, we chronicle how they crashed and burned in the sequel. And yes, I know you have names coming to mind because there are many of them. And then we wonder why we don't feel more grounded, more secure, more anchored, more immovable. So what hope is there for a shallow people in a shallow world? Our hope is in the God who is deep. Look at verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. You see, God doesn't think the way we do. He's, He's not impressed with what's new and shiny. And there's a lot more to him than meets the eye, a lot more that's below the surface if I could put it this way, our God is not in for the quick win. Things that pop up like grass, only to disappear the next day. Our God is interested only in things that will last for eternity. This was the constant source of tension, wasn't it, between Jesus and his disciples? They wanted quick and decisive victories over enemies they could see, like the Romans, And that was after years of sitting at his his feet. Never once, not once, did Jesus ever promise, encourage, or even allude to some sort of cultural uprising or overtaking the government. In fact, he constantly discouraged it. But that's what they were fixated on, the, the problems they could see and nothing below the surface. And yet... In a matter of hours, as they witnessed his trial, his death, and his burial, they came to embrace a version of Christianity that was entirely different from what they had demanded just days before. Never again did his disciples seek, promote, or demand such shallow ideas of victory. Because of what Jesus accomplished, it was so much deeper, greater, and more profound. Jesus didn't conquer the rulers that made their lives hard. He conquered the sin that enslaved them. He didn't accomplish a kingdom that, that needed to be defended with spears and swords... He gave them a kingdom that could not be shaken. That was our call to worship this morning. We have already received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's in no danger of being turned over upside down. When verse 8 says, You, O Lord, are high forever, it's acknowledging that our God has always been interested in what is for forever, what is last, what is eternal. The heights he is seeking are so far above what the disciples were seeking they couldn't understand what he was even talking about. And again, there's there's a corollary between heights and depths like with trees. Look at verses 5 and 8. Because God's thoughts are so deep, his exaltation is so high. Because our God has thoughts that are so deep, our God is on high. He is exalted above all else. The reason we want the riches of this world, the power of its kingdoms, and and the approval of its citizens is because we can only fathom a height that reflects our depth. If we only go this far below, we can only imagine an exaltation this far above. And the farther, the deeper we go, the higher we can imagine our exaltation A shallow world, let me put it this way, is content with a shallow glory. If we would understand true glory, we need true depth. We need to learn to think God's deep thoughts after him. And we must grow uh, roots like a great cedar. Because it's only then... That we can attain the heights of a cedar and leave the grass far below on the surface. So where do we grow deep roots? That's the last point. We grow deep roots in worship. Verses 10 and 11 acknowledge that the success of the wicked can't last. They're like the grass that fades According to verse 12, the righteous flourish not like grass, but like a mighty palm or a cedar. And then look at verse 13. Where are they planted? In the Lord's house. Uh, God's house uh, is kind of like the spiritual greenhouse where plants can be cultivated and made strong. Those that grow strong in God's house will still bear fruit even when they're old because they are healthy and they are well-rooted. Like Kloss. For those of you who weren't here when Kloss was here, I'm sorry. He was a dear example to us of depth of faith. And there are some others still in our midst. They're the ones that we, we draw near to when life gets hard because we we recognize something in them that resonates with us, something we know we need. And again, we have a word for it. We call it depth. So what do we do in God's house? If we are like trees planted in God's house, seeking to grow deep roots so that we can reach high heights, what do we do in God's house? Where are we watered and nurtured and cultivated to have deeper roots? Well, it's in worship. Worship draws our our thoughts away from the fleeting things of this world. It, It pulls us into a story that is thousands of years in the making. And at the center of that story is a God who always values the eternal, a God who brings victory in his time, and who never, ever, ever, ever abandons his people. In worship, we sing about that God, and as we do, our our roots start to grow deeper, and then a bit deeper, and then deeper still. I'll be honest, my first temptation or instinct when I wake up every morning is to check the news. And when I do, I start my day discouraged. My daughter uh, heard someone say, when you start your day in God's word, it's hard to be discouraged. That is so true. If we want to weather life's storms, we don't need to check our social media and our news feeds obsessively. And we don't need more blogs and podcasts. We need to spend time with the God whose thoughts are deep. We need to learn to see below the surface and to perceive things that the fool can't see. we need to be in worship both publicly and privately because life is so busy can you imagine people on a ship saying we don't have time to put down the anchor there's a storm that's when you need the anchor we have no enduring hope if our roots don't go deep And so we need to learn to read slowly, thoughtfully, and deeply. We need to learn to to meditate on what we read and hear. And we have got to learn to pray. We must become a praying people. In worship, we, we learn to give thanks... That's where a psalm opens right up, right? It's good, it says, to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It's good to give thanks. Now, we don't tend to give thanks. We tend to complain. We complain about the weather. We complain about the government. We complain about our families. We complain about our jobs. We complain about complaining. But have you ever noticed what complaints do to our peace, our contentment, our comfort? Complaints undermine those. They teach us to believe that this world is out of control and falling apart. They lead us to believe that, that God is not at work for our good. what happens when we give thanks we're forced to turn our focus onto God's strength and his goodness and when we do that we start to see blessing all around us we remember that we are blessed and we have a loving heavenly father who, who is ever working and ever accomplishing his plan And so we need to learn to be thankful for for God's mighty deeds and for his saving mercies and that he is cultivating within us a depth. His greatest work was in sending his son into this world. Not to live a life of, of quick and easy success that's as fading as the grass, but to accomplish something unfading, unshakable, and eternal. And it takes depth. It takes perspective to see victory in suffering and death and then resurrection. To see that apparent defeat is not ultimate defeat. That, that God always has the long term in mind. But doing so will build a confidence in us that the success of the wicked is like the grass... And the strength of those who follow Jesus is like that of the cedar. Rooted, unshakable, and as immovable as the kingdom we have inherited. Uh, John Calvin, reflecting on this psalm, said that our discouragement is often the result of not praising God as we ought. Singing God's praises forces us to to focus on something greater. And remember that our God can't be conquered. Praise is actually the remedy for discouragement. Praise is the remedy for discouragement. And this is why it's called a song for the Sabbath. God has set aside one day each week for his worship. Because through worship we we learn to see as God sees, not as the world sees. And then worship concludes at a meal that is often called the Eucharist, which simply means Thanksgiving. This is the real Thanksgiving meal every week. And it's called that because because when Jesus instituted this meal with his disciples, he gave thanks. That's what it says. He gave thanks. And that's a remarkable statement in light of what that night would bring. Within hours, he would be betrayed, lied about, tried, and condemned. He would be abandoned by all who sat at that table. He would be led away... ...in a travesty of justice... ...and he would be crucified. And yet... ...he gave thanks. That night didn't catch him by surprise. But as he prepared for that night... ...he gave thanks. Because he saw more than meets the eye. The Lord's Supper... ...teaches us to see as he sees. and So let us come... And as we do, grow a bit deeper in our God. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive this gift uh, this morning. Father, we long for depth. We are so easily discouraged, shaken, tossed. And far too often we see as the world sees and we desire what the world desires and then we wonder why we are not more grounded. Help us to be more rooted Grounded to think as you think and to see as you see and to recognize your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening to give thanks for these, to sing praises to you and to understand what true greatness is, we pray through Christ our Lord exalted, enthroned on high in an unshakable kingdom, amen